Welcome everyone to our afternoon worship service. If you're able, please rise. Beloved, we confess at the start of this service that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Let us now sing to the Lord from Psalm 96, the stanzas 1 and 2. Let us come before our Father in a word of prayer. Holy Father, who reigns in heaven, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and all that dwell therein, we come before you in prayer to worship you and to ask for your blessing over this worship service. We look to you as the source of all good things and all blessings. We acknowledge that with your fatherly hand, you protect us and guide all things for our ultimate good. We know that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, and your works are wonderful, and they deserve our praise every day. We ask for your forgiveness, Father, for all the ways in which we have insulted your majesty and your holy name. We have sinned against you, in numerous ways and on countless occasions. So we ask that you would be merciful towards us and show us your grace and love once again. Remove our sins far from us and remember them no more. We know that we do not deserve to come before you, to ask for forgiveness and other blessings, and so we ask that you answer our petitions for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son. 
We confess that you sent him to die as a sacrifice for our sins. And we look to him in faith as our only Lord and Savior. Open our hearts and minds this afternoon as we study what our Lord teaches us in the parable of the great banquet. Let us apply this parable to our own lives. And so come to a better appreciation of your grace and mercy. Let us not be among those who make excuses, but among those who joyfully come into your presence and look forward to celebrating the Feast of the Lamb in your kingdom. Work within us through the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent into our hearts. Renew us and transform us so that we might live every day as you desire. Grant that we might be wholly devoted to you and to faithfully serving those you have placed around us in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Mediator, we pray. Amen. Beloved, I invite you now to open your Bibles, if you have one before you, to Luke chapter 14, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. We'll begin at verse 1 and read through to verse 14. Beloved, hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, when he, that is Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thus far, our reading of God's holy word. Let us now sing together from Psalm 67, the stanzas 1 and 2.
Our text for this afternoon's sermon comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. We'll actually be beginning at verse 12 for our reading for the text. Beloved, hear the word of the Lord. He, that is Jesus once again, said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, 
and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine it's your wedding day, and you've sent out invitations by the hundreds. And in response, you've received RSVPs from hundreds of guests who confirm, yes, they will be there. But on the wedding day itself, no one shows up except the bridal party. I think most of us would agree that such a thing would be a disaster. And you would be right to feel betrayed, devastated. Now imagine further that you go to your family and your friends and you ask them what happened. And you start to receive the most pathetic and outlandish of excuses. I had to have my six-month dental checkup. I had a kid four years ago. He doesn't like it when I leave the house. Or I had to do my taxes. They're due in a couple months, you know. At this point, you might feel justified in deciding it's time to find some new family and friends. What we see in Luke chapter 14 is something similar. Here we hear of a great banquet being thrown. But the initial guests don't really care. And so the master of the banquet decides that he'll bring in new guests. He's done with those who have insulted him and turned down his generosity. And so he'll find others who will appreciate all the effort that he has gone to and all the work that he has done. This is a parable of mercy and judgment. A reminder to us that our God's grace should never be underestimated, but it also should not be rejected. Beloved, I proclaim God's word as it comes to us in the parable of the great banquet using this theme. The master invites us to attend his great banquet. We'll see first, invitations rejected, second, invitations accepted, And third, invitations sent. Our parable is told in the midst of a prestigious banquet. We're told at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus was dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. His host then would have been a man revered, looked up to in Jewish society. And this is also reflected in part by the guest list. For we are told that a number of those who were dining with Jesus were lawyers, experts in Jewish religious law, and Pharisees, men known for their strict religious adherence to the law of God. We are told that they reclined at table 
indicating that they were lying on long couches in the fashion or the style fashionable among the rich and wealthy of that day. These are men that most of the common people would have looked up to. But it appears that this admiration has gone to their heads. Jesus notices, for example, how they sought to sit in the places of honor at the feast. Those would be the the places closest to the host. These men wanted to be recognized, honored by others. And something of this arrogant attitude comes across in our text as well. Jesus tells his host that the next time he gives a banquet, he should invite those who can't repay him in this life. He should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and wait for God to repay him at the resurrection of the just. And it seems that this makes some of them feel a bit awkward. One of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, and he says to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, to eat bread points towards eating a meal. To eat bread in the kingdom of God really points towards enjoying eternal salvation. This phrase or blessing points towards words spoken by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 25, verse 6, we read, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of food, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. This feast is connected to the final salvation of God's people. Because Isaiah 25 continues, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And so it was very common in Jesus' day to speak of salvation, of the life to come, in terms of a banquet. And Jesus does the same when he responds to this man's blessing with a parable. He says to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. The man isn't described in any detail, but... A great banquet is something which is naturally hosted by a great person. And at the time for the banquet, this important person sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now it's important to note that those who are invited should not be surprised at all when the servant comes around. They've been told in advance to be ready. And what's more, they've already accepted an invitation. 
You see, when you hosted a banquet in ancient times, you would first send out invitations and receive acceptance from your guests. Only once the number of guests is known, only then can the host properly prepare the meal. In particular, it was important to know how much meat would be needed. What kind of animal or how many animals needed to be slaughtered? You didn't simply hold a party and then hope people would show up to eat the food. Because anything left over back then was going to go bad in a matter of hours. Only once the necessary number of animals had been slaughtered and prepared, would a second invitation go out, letting the guests know that everything was ready. Then the guests were supposed to show up and a great meal would be enjoyed by everyone who was present. But at this banquet, something surprising happens. All the guests alike begin to make excuses. All those who initially accepted back out. And they do so with the lamest of excuses. Excuses so bad, they are effectively insults. To the host. One guest said to the servant, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. You need to understand, no one at that time would buy land without knowing exactly what it looked like. Indeed, even the legal contracts in that day for selling a field were required to include information about anything in the property. Springs, wells, the location of stone walls, the trees had to be noted, the paths, the anticipated rainfall, and all those other factors had to be included in the bill of sale. Land in the Middle East was limited. And what was available and suitable for agriculture had been cultivated already for thousands of years. People could tell you who owned a plot of land for generations and what kind of profits that field had produced since long before you would have been born. No one casually bought or sold a field in that time. It was a process which often took years. And so there is no good reason why this man would go now to see this field. The workday would have already been done. Whatever he needs to see could wait until morning. Now this excuse is so weak that it basically amounts to a veiled insult toward the host. And another said to the servant, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Once again, we might note that no one would buy five yoke or teams of oxen and only examine them after the purchase. In the ancient Middle East, you would find a small field near the marketplace where buyers were able to test drive or test plow the oxen to ensure that they would work together properly as a team. Alternatively, you would invite buyers to come to your field on a certain day to see how the team performed. No one would be so stupid as to buy one yoke of oxen without seeing them perform first, let alone five. Imagine you invited someone to a birthday party, and they told you, sorry, 
I just bought 10 used cars, sight unseen, and I need to go check them out tonight. It's another excuse so weak, it's basically an insult to the host. And still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. To be clear, his point is not that his new wife won't let him go. Furthermore, it's not like he was just married that day. He already had accepted that first invitation, and he certainly wouldn't have done that if it was his wedding day. And furthermore, there's no way he was married on that day because no one hosting a banquet would schedule it on the same day as a wedding. At most, he will be required to be away from his wife for a few hours. There's no reason to assume that she will be unable to cope without him. If he wanted to, he could go. And so once again, it's basically an insult to the host. So what point is Jesus trying to make? Well, the invited guests of the parable essentially represent the guests who are surrounding Jesus at that time. They are the religious elite of the nation, the premier members of God's covenant people. And they, at that moment, have effectively been refusing to come to Christ's banquet of salvation. They accepted the first invitation to the banquet, you might say, in being members of the covenant. But when Christ comes announcing that the kingdom of God is near, that the banquet of the kingdom is at hand, they refuse to accept him and follow him. So what message is there in this parable for us? Well, the parable in the first place is not directed at us. But there is a lesson in it which we should heed. We may be God's covenant people in the present. We may have accepted the first invitation, so to speak. But it isn't enough to simply be part of the covenant. We need also as individuals to accept that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That he is the only one who can save us. We need to place our hope and trust in him. And we need to commit ourselves to living in his service. We need to seek his kingdom and the banquet which is in store for us. Being part of a Christian church does not save us from the things that we have done. Being part of a Christian family does not remove the need to personally believe, to personally think for ourselves, who is Jesus Christ to me? Membership in the covenant is not and has never been enough for salvation. We must recognize our covenant obligations as well. The fact that we need to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and place our trust in him. The religious elite in Jesus' day rejected the Messiah when he stood before them because they were too wrapped up in themselves. They didn't have time for Christ because he didn't come to stroke their egos, to make them feel good about themselves and their religious accomplishments. 
As believers today, we need to be aware of the temptation to get too wrapped up in our own lives and concerns. Instead, we need to remember at all times that Christ came to call us to lives of service and humility and obedience. This brings us to our second point. Jesus went on with the parable in Luke 14, verse 21, describing how the servant came and reported the excuses he received to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. In other words, bring all the people who wouldn't expect to receive an invitation. The sort of people who weren't ordinarily invited to banquets. The sort of people who had nothing to offer in the eyes of the world. See, in the ancient world, there was no social safety net. There was little opportunity for those who had little to start with. If you had a major disability at that time, there was often little that you could do for a living except beg in the streets. Some commentators have noted that, in contrast to the guests who did not bother to come, the poor at that time did not get invited to banquets. The maimed did not get married. The lame did not go out to examine fields. Or sorry, the blind did not go out to examine fields. And the lame did not get to drive oxen. In fact, these people were generally considered cursed by God and unworthy of his favor. When that man near Jesus said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, he imagines that people like himself will be there. But people like the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, he imagines they won't. One Jewish document from this time describes the the Messianic banquet as a gathering of all perfect, righteous Jews. But those who were unrighteous and those who had imperfections were excluded. According to this document, no one was allowed in who was, and I quote, smitten in his flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame or blind or deaf, or mute, or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish. That is the end of the quote. And perhaps here we would be inclined to say, well, shame on those self-righteous Jews. But we do see something similar in our own culture. We don't assume that people with disabilities are cursed by God. But we are often told that their lives aren't worth living. Here I am thinking about the fact that we live in a culture in which parents feel pressured and sometimes are pressured to abort their children. If there's any hint of physical or mental disability. Now the central point of the parable is not be considerate to those in unfortunate circumstances. But there is a reminder here to be loving towards all those around us. To see them as God sees them and not according to the standards and expectations of this world. Jesus had just told his audience, 
But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And he reinforces that message with this parable. What's basically going on here is that God is extending his grace to those in Israel that the perfect, pious Jews rejected and scorned. Jesus, as master of the banquet, which awaits us in the next life, is warning the religious elite that those that they have often looked down upon will be the blessed ones who eat in the kingdom of God, while they will remain outside of it. For our Savior did not die for those who think that they are righteous on account of their actions or deeds, or the fact that they have gotten to experience God's blessings in abundance in this life. Righteousness can only be found in our Lord and Savior. Great suffering or disability in this life does not indicate what awaits us in the next. Those who are blessed with perfect health or great finances cannot assume that God is pleased with how they are living. Those who are living in poverty and enduring disabilities cannot assume that God is angry or dissatisfied with them. Instead, we all ought to look to Christ and ask for the Holy Spirit to work within us. If we want to attend the banquet, we need to look to the one who will be hosting that banquet and live with the recognition that we can attend his banquet freely on account of all that he has done for us. This brings us to our third and final point. The poor and disabled in the parable eagerly accept the master's invitation. But the servant in the parable has to report to his master, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And so the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. The highways were the roads traveled by all peoples, by the merchants and travelers of every nation and origin. And the hedges point towards the borders which people would set up, the boundaries traditionally used to keep outsiders off of one's property. Basically, the servant is told to bring in anyone he possibly can, regardless of status or nationality. And here it points towards Jesus Christ sending out his disciples to bring Gentiles into his kingdom. For Christ will not rule over an empty kingdom or a barren paradise. He will be king over people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. With these words, Jesus is pointing us back to Isaiah 25, verse 6, where we heard earlier, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. You see, the Jews, they accepted the idea of a messianic banquet. But they liked to overlook the presence of the Gentiles. They basically ignored the fact that God wanted all peoples at his feast. An ancient Jewish text from this time, supposedly written by Enoch, actually written during the intertestamental period, 
prophesied that the Gentiles would be excluded by the Son of Man from his great banquet. So unfortunately, God's covenant people had lost much of their drive to be a light to the nations. To a degree, they still believed they had a role to evangelize, or at least accept those Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. But especially among the religious elite, the Pharisees and the lawyers, the overall attitude was one of dismissal. Who needs the Gentiles, they would say. We are God's people. But here Jesus teaches them that he wants the Gentiles at his banquet. He wants people from every nation and tribe. The master wants them so badly at his banquet, he commands his servant to compel them to come in. Now tragically, this text has been used at times to try and justify forced conversions. Within a Middle Eastern context, however, the word compel points to the need to convince and persuade. According to Middle Eastern custom, an unexpected invitation initially ought to be refused. One would only accept if the host were insistent. And so the servant in the parable is not being told to go out with a sword and threaten people and force them to come in. But he is to do his best to convince them that they are wanted. He is to be emphatic and persuasive and try as best he can to bring people to this banquet. You might say it is a reminder to us that our attitude towards outsiders should not simply be, the doors are open, they can come in if they want to. We should also ask for the help of the Holy Spirit in reaching out. We ought to put effort into convincing people and persuading them that we truly want them to join us in worshiping God. We truly believe that our faith was beneficial for them as well. Now the master in the parable, or the commands, the master's command in the parable is something which is not fully carried out. It's commanded, but then the parable ends and we never hear about the result. You might say in this way, the parable matches where Jesus is at in his ministry. He has not yet sent his disciples to the Gentiles. But that is coming. And for us, it has already come. Particularly with Christ issuing the great commission to make disciples of all nations. Our text concludes with a stern warning. For I tell you, none of the men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's interesting to note that this parable doesn't seem to be part of the parable itself. The you who are being addressed is in the plural. So it doesn't naturally seem to reflect the the master simply talking to his servant. With this warning, it appears that Jesus is suddenly addressing the men reclining with him in the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. By stating, my banquet, Jesus is identifying himself with the host or the master of the parable. Now whether or not the guests around the table caught exactly what Jesus was saying is debatable. We are never told their reaction. 
But we do see this parable play out in the life and ministry of Christ. We see that with the death and resurrection of our Lord, the time arrived for the nations to be brought into God's kingdom, so that they might also share in the expectation of his great banquet. We now live at a time when there are many who have not responded to the invitation of the gospel. And we might ask ourselves, have we done everything possible to convince them to join us in worshiping God and recognizing his son? We might ask ourselves, have I seriously and thoughtfully responded to the invitation which God has extended to me? I think here especially of the sacrament of baptism, which points to all the promises which God makes to his people. Have we all recognized our obligations to love him in response for all that he has done for us? It's easy to make excuses, to say that we really need to be focused on other things right now. We can find a million reasons why we don't prioritize the things of God. But if we're honest, I think we already know that our excuses are weak. And nothing deserves more priority in our lives. For we have no higher calling than to recognize the grace and mercy which God has extended to us by inviting us to rejoice with him in eternity at the great banquet of his Son. Amen. Beloved, I invite you to stand now and sing together from hymn 81, the stanzas 1 through 7.
Beloved, let us now confess our Christian faith together. We do so this afternoon using the words of the Apostles' Creed as they have been put to music in hymn one. In our congregational prayer this afternoon, we wish to remember the passing on of the Reverend Mulder, a faithful minister in our federation for many years. I'm sure no doubt many of you perhaps had the opportunity to hear him, and we'll remember him and his loved ones in prayer this afternoon. Holy Father, we thank you for all that you have revealed to us in your word. And especially for the parable which we could hear this afternoon. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Not only as our Savior and Lord, but also as a teacher and prophet. One who has revealed to us your holy word. And taught us so much about how we might live in communion with you in this life. As we await to experience perfect communion and joy with you at the banquet which awaits us. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to open the way. We know our sins and weaknesses and acknowledge that we do not deserve to spend eternity in your presence on our own merits. Therefore, help us to live out of thankfulness for all the grace and mercy that we have been shown. Help us to live with the knowledge But even now you are preparing an amazing banquet for all your people. Father, we remember at this time the passing on of Reverend Mulder. We thank you for the many years of faithful service that he could give to this Canadian Reformed Federation. 
We thank you for the many sermons that he could preach. The instruction in catechism classes and other opportunities. The love and comfort that he could show in countless visits to members of his congregations. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who mourn his passing. We think especially of his wife, other family members and loved ones. We thank you, Father, for all that he could give to us. And we ask now that even in the midst of the sorrow of his passing, we might also rejoice in the knowledge that he is now with you, that he is experiencing a far better world. And we look forward to the day, Father, when we might join him at your great banquet in the kingdom to come. Please watch over us as a congregation, Father, that we might please you in how we live our lives and support one another in your holy service. Keep us from being hard-hearted when it comes to serving one another and instead make us eager to reach out to those around us. Let us also be eager and willing to take part in spreading the good news about what you have done to others in this world around us. Work in us through the Holy Spirit so that we would be willing to do our part, to go out to the highways and the hedges, to compel and convince those we meet that salvation can be found in Jesus Christ alone. We pray, Father, that you watch over us in every way, that in our midst people might find a faithful congregation of your Son. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Beloved, we have an opportunity now to give our offerings of thankfulness to the Lord. Our offerings this afternoon, once again, are to support the work being done by the deacons. And afterwards, let us close by singing from hymn 46, the stanzas 1 through 4.